Good morning, Mr. Lapachel. Uh, do you, in the testimony you will now give, affirm that you will tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth? I do. Good morning, Terry. Good morning. Um, I know we've already sort of mentioned it, but can you please give us your full name? I'm sorry? Can you please give us your full name? Yes, my name is Terry LaChapelle. Where do you live, Terry? Uh, right now we live in rural New Brunswick. Uh, and what did you do for a living? I'm a retired military veteran of 21 plus years. Where were you posted, Terry? <laughs> six, let, different, let, six different provinces. Really. Let, let me let, let's go with the most recent or your, your, your last posting. Right, CFB Trenton. Okay. So uh, before moving to PEI, I'm sorry, to rural New Brunswick, you, your residence was Trenton in Ontario? Correct. What did you do uh, for the military? What was, your, what was your occupation or your capacity? Uh, my occupation was uh, military or MSC op, mobile support equipment operator, basically a truck driver. Okay. Yeah. I was, uh, I retired in 2018, mid 2018, um, and I started working on the base as a civilian in, <clears throat> sorry, this is a little hard to say, but <laughs> in uh, 2020. Um, as a public service. Breathe. Nice and relaxed. Yeah. Right up. It always helps to breathe deeply. Take a couple deep breaths and, and we'll go from there, okay? I'm good. Excellent. Uh, Terry, you, you, you retired uh, from the military in 2018 and then took a uh, public service position with the military. Um, is correct? As a public service? Yes, as a civilian. As a civilian? Yeah. Okay. And then you, you left that job, or let, got, you, well, it, you did, you left that job in 2020, you said? In late 2020, yes. What precipitated that? Well, just about, you know, early 19, 2019, early 2020, the, the COVID uh, pandemic was happening. And I listened to a lot of, different news outlets, not just mainstream media, but also alternative news outlets. And I was hearing rumors and reading rumors about um, possible injection mandates for all public service employees. My wife also worked on the base as a public service employee. And I was watching that really carefully because I was worried, obviously, right, what was going to happen. So between the two of us and my military pension, we were doing fine. I mean you know, 170,000 a year roughly. Uh, we had a couple nice vehicles, nice home, completely renovated, uh, you know, camper, pool, hot tub for my back, and everything was going good until uh, the right, I believe in September or October, it was announced uh, from the federal government, you can look it up, it's still on their website, that uh, yeah, indeed, you know, if uh, no job, no job. So you either take the injection or you'll be placed on indeterminate leave without pay for public service employees. And this would affect both you and your spouse? Oh, huge. <laughs> you know, when you have a comfortable life and we're just starting to get used to that, and then all of a sudden, it's gone. So 
I saw the writing on the wall. I saw the deadline. It was there in writing. So come back a bit. I knew what was going to happen. I knew what we had to do because there's no way I could afford all of that, you know. So you've made a decision. Uh, it sounds as though, and, and please let me know if I'm incorrect, but you said you reviewed documentation. So then you've made a choice not, and then you received documentation from the military that says if you're not vaccinated by a certain date that your employment would effectively be terminated. Right. And right. so, but you've made a decision uh, not to get vaccinated. Is that correct? correct? Because uh, a lot of red flags. I mean, mRNA is nothing new. I'm sure everybody in this room has looked it up, did a little research, whatever. It's decades old technology. And the first red flag to me was, why wasn't it ever brought to market before? And then the push, the push, I mean, coercion? Like, really? Our coercion to take something that I don't want to take? To, to take a medical procedure I don't want to undergo? Uh, you know, like, you never buy the first model Tesla. You're going to wait until they work out some bugs first, right? That was, and my backup plan was always, well, if I'm wrong, I can always take it. You know? when, when you said coercion, um, can you tell me a little bit more about exactly what you mean by that? Well, uh, when the government announced that you either take it or you lose your job or get placed, sorry, not lose your job, get placed on leave without pay for basically forever, um, I, I talked with my wife and I said, you know, we got to sell everything. We have no choice because I can't afford this on a military pension isn't very big, right? <laughs> so um, we had to sell the house. Uh, we went down in one vehicle, uh, sold the, the motorcycle, uh, sold everything. I mean, a lot of stuff I couldn't even take with me, the movers wouldn't take. Uh, luckily for us, we did make a little bit of money on the sale uh, of the house, so that kind of kind of tied us over for a little while. We uh, hired some movers. We moved uh, back to southern Ontario, back to Niagara. Um, ended up in a small, maybe 550 square foot uh, apartment on the third floor. <laughs> Big difference. It's, uh, it's not something I really want to wish on anybody. I mean, it might have been easy, just take it, carry on with my life, but no, no. You felt that based on the research you've conducted and the information available at the time that it was, wasn't safe for you to take to continue employment uh, rather than potentially you know, that the prospect of losing your home, your vehicles, everything that you've built up because you had quite a long, lengthy career with the uh, military. Right. So, I, well, based on what I was reading, not just, uh, I mean, I watch a little bit of mainstream media, but I try to stay away from it. Mm -hmm. A lot of other alternative sources. I never take anything I see online at face value. You know, you have to kind of read between the lines, use a grocery store method, take what you need and leave the rest, you know, behind. Uh, the stuff I was reading was just like, wow, no, I don't want, I don't even want to take a chance on this right now. So I'm going to wait. I'm going to see what happens. Unfortunately, I didn't have time to wait because the date was on the wall, November 1st, and then November 15th, you're being placed on leave without pay. So we did what we had to do, and it was like, it was really like a punch in the face, you know. Here's an organization I worked for for half my adult life. Okay, when I was in the military, I was medically released, 
I kind of understand that. I mean, you get to a certain point in life where you can't do what you used to do. So, yeah, I couldn't do the soldier thing anymore. That's fine. You know, I understand that. And there were some benefits there for me uh, on retirement. But this, there's just basically nothing. They're taking away two full-time incomes and replacing it with nothing. I mean, we all know what happened with CERB. I didn't even want to go near that because I knew they'd come back to get it. It's just, it's the government after all, right? <laughs> so, yeah. So it, it sounds like your overall experience with the military up to this point has been rather favorable. You enjoyed your career with the military? For the most part. Ups and downs. Well, like any job, right? <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. But overall, it was pretty good until these mandates came into effect and then you had to make a life-altering decision. Why did you choose um, to move from, from Ontario to rural New Brunswick? Well, before we moved to Niagara, we looked for an apartment in and around the Belleville, Trenton, even as far as Kingston. No way I could afford an apartment on a military pension. I mean, they're $1,800, $2,000 a month. That's basically my military pension, right? So there'd be no money for food, there'd be no money for bills, there wouldn't be anything. So we did manage to find a small apartment in Niagara that was just over $1,000 a month. So we rented that while we tried to figure out what we were going to do. Um, and I contacted a veteran friend of mine in rural New Brunswick, and he said, hey, why don't you come and look around here? I'm sure you can find something. The prices are still reasonable. Uh, so we did. I did. I jumped in the car. I came to New Brunswick. I looked around. I found a spot. Um, my mortgage broker made it happen. It was, uh, it was a miracle, really. Um, so just based on my pension, we qualified for the property because I said, there's no way this is going to be taken away from me again. You know? So any, any other little job that my wife could get or I could get or something like that, it's just a bonus. Right. How did we end up, and that's how we ended up in, in New Brunswick, 1,600 kilometers away from my father and my brother. Did you have any family in New Brunswick at all? or that, that I have some cousins uh, around uh, Sussex and St. John's and my one veteran friend there, not too far from us. And there's, uh, there's other veterans in uh, Fredericton, and I think there's a few in Moncton. That's going way back to my Armored Corps days, but yeah. Everybody's so far apart out here, though. It's like, I'm going to go visit, you know, my friend Rob. Oh, wow, he's 45 minutes away. <laughs> well, yes, sir. In the Maritimes, we tend to have some, some distances. Um, Terry, I know you've, you've talked to us, uh, and you gave us a glimpse into your financial situation when you went from a combined income of about $170,000 a year benefits from the federal government working for the military to roughly $35,000 a year. Right. And, and, you know, you were um, reluctantly had to remove, had to move from Ontario where your immediate family is to a place where you really have no immediate family, which is a significant distance away. Right. Um, how, how are you dealing with, and if I may ask, how are you dealing with that, you know, emotionally? How is your mental health because of all this as well? Well, <laughs> How do you deal with it day by day? I mean, what do you want me to say, right? Yeah. You do what you got to do and, and get it done. It's certainly my, my rock is over there and my wife, right? Absolutely. And, and I, I, I can appreciate that very much so. 
um, since moving to New Brunswick, have you had uh, contact or have you seen your immediate family, your dad? When was the last time? No, not since. I mean, it takes, it takes money to drive, you know, uh, from New Brunswick to Ontario. And I have to do it in short hops. Like, I almost threw my back out just driving here today. <laughs> but I wanted to be here. And I appreciate you being this here. is so important. It is, absolutely. Um, before, before moving to New Brunswick and, and not having, I'm sorry to have to go there again, but um, not having contact with your dad or at least you know, a physical, physical presence with him, prior to moving to New Brunswick, how often would you spend time with your father? Almost every day. Um, that was really the whole pull to move there was not only to it was one of the only places we could afford to rent um, was also to spend time you know with family do you have other uh, family oh, sorry Go ahead. trenton is about a three-hour drive so it's a six-hour round trip uh, being right there i mean i could just go knock on his door and say hey come on over you know for breakfast Right, so he went from a lot of contact to virtually, well, to actually zero contact. Zero. None. None at all. Well, other than maybe, you know, a Facebook conversation or a, right. a video conversation or a phone conversation, yeah. Right. But, but certainly not no quality time, so to speak, you know, in person like you would have before, like we'd like to do with family. Correct. Do you have any other family in Ontario that you, uh, uh, that you had to move away from as well, aside from your father? My brother, my daughter, uh, a lot of friends. Acquaintances. When was the last time you saw your daughter? Uh, last time we saw her when we left. That would have been mid-August, roughly mid-August of uh, last year. Of 2022? Yeah. So yeah. about eight, eight, seven, eight months, seven months, roughly? And if it wasn't for my brother helping us move, don't know how it would have done it. Couldn't afford movers, right? So U-Haul <laughs> oh. wanted $6,000 for a truck. I'm like, no, I can't do that. So, um, there, after everything you know you, you've went through, um, I, I, I do want to know, and I think potentially commissioners as well as, if you have to do it over, would you would you reconsider? Would you take the shot? Wouldn't would you take hesitate. The I'd do the same thing all over again. I'd do the same thing because I had no choice. So. Because you mentioned earlier, you mentioned coercion bit, where your quote-unquote choice was take the vaccine or lose your job. Right. That you didn't see that as a valid choice. No, that's not a choice. That's no choice at all. <laughs> that's, uh, you know, that's like me telling you, hey, drink this or you lose your job. Well, what's in it? Well, I don't know. Just drink it. Well, what's it going to do to me? I don't know. Just drink it. It's safe and effective, I promise. <laughs> You'd be like, yeah, I don't think so. <laughs> right? I mean, what do you want me to tell you? It's, uh, it's almost beyond coercion. It's blackmail is what it is. Let's call it what it is because that would be blackmail. And the harder you tell me to do something that I don't want to do, the more I'm going to push back. I'm that kind of guy. I'm a Taurus, so ain't going to happen. <laughs> I will push you, and to this day, People call me an anti-vaxxer. I've lost friends. I've lost people that 
just don't even want to talk to me anymore, right? I post a lot of things online, controversial things maybe. Uh, I've spent a lot of time in Facebook jail. Terry. Uh, visited my daughter there a lot too because, <laughs> you know, that's yeah. where they put you when you post things that they don't agree with. And, uh, okay, Terry, you, you, you've raised a very good uh, point and, uh, and actually that I, I'd like to ask. He said, you're not an anti-vaxxer. Now, when you join the military, do you have to take vaccinations typically when you enter the military for deployments, things of that? So have you, have you taken any vaccines while in the military service? We'll go back to my childhood. I've had all my childhood vaccines. Uh, I did the needles parade right here in Cornwallis, Nova Scotia in 1985. They called it a parade, but it wasn't really a parade. <laughs> jab, 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 back and forth. Uh, when I, before I was deployed, I had, I couldn't even tell you what they were. They just said, you need to take this. Okay, I took it. Because I knew they're just traditional vaccines. mRNA is a messenger ribonucleic acid, I believe it's called, and somebody can correct me if I'm wrong. Um, it's not a traditional vaccine. And when I was posted to Ottawa in 2012, they noticed that all my vaccinations were expired, so they said. So you need to take them all over again. Oh, and look, you've never had the Hep A, B, C, D, E, F, G. So I took all those too, without hesitation. I will put my, I put my vaccine, my vaccine booklet up against anybody's in this room any day. So you hands had, down, hands down, I'm going to win. So no hesitation, no whatsoever hesitation. for all the prescribed vaccinations within the military, yep. up until the COVID-19 came in, and based on what 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 you what what you said to us is that there simply, I'm going to paraphrase it, but simply there wasn't enough documentation and proof of safety for you to take a risk on, on, on an experimental vaccine, but you had no issues whatsoever taking any of the vaccinations that were required because you, you know they've been proven and they've been effective if they've, and they've been around. Correct. Is that correct? Yep. Too many red flags. Thank you, Terry. I, I appreciate your time. I'm going to refer to the uh, commissioners for any questions. I'm just wondering if there was an appeal process before the imposed deadline, if there were any other options that you could have taken? Not that I'm aware of. I wasn't, I didn't allow them to put me on leave without pay. I just resigned. Um, this was in mid-September, so about two weeks roughly before um, the, or sorry, about a month and a half before the October, end October deadline. Thank you. And just to add to that, if I may, we do know people in the public service that have been placed on leave without pay. So it wasn't just something they might have done. It was done. And I personally know a lot of veterans that were released dishonorably discharged because they refused the COVID vaccines. Thank you for your testimony. I was going to ask exactly the question about, uh, in your assessment, what would be the proportion of people that um, refuse to take the jam according to the people you know around you in the military, for example? Well, was there was a number floating around of approximately 900, 8 to 900 military personnel that were dishonorably discharged. And coincidentally, some of them I know personally, and they were actually called back 
and they said, no, um, you know, you kicked me to the curb, I'm not coming back. And as far as the civilians, I only know of a couple myself, personally. I don't know the numbers on the civilian population. I wasn't there very long. I was there for less than a year uh, when all this happened. So. Thank you. Thank you very much for your time, Terry. I'm very grateful for you being here today. You're welcome. Thank you. Have a good day. Yes, you as well. Thank you.